Welcome to Leadership Reimagined. I'm Dr. Jane Lovis, your host. During each episode of Leadership Reimagined, we take a look at leadership from the vantage point of what it's going to take for leaders to lead their organizations forward into a new future. And in this episode, we're creating that new future. Today, I'd like to welcome Susan McKinty Brady. Susan is the Deloitte Ellen Gabriel Chair for Women in Leadership at Simmons University and the first Chief Executive Office of the Simmons University Institute for Inclusive Leadership. The Institute develops the mindset and skills of leaders at all stages of life so they can foster gender parity and cultures of inclusion. As a relationship expert, leadership well-being coach, author, and speaker, Susan educates leaders and executives globally on fostering self-awareness for optimal leadership. Susan advises executive teams on how to work together effectively and create inclusion and gender parity in organizations. She is passionate about working with women of all levels of organizational leadership to fully realize and manifest their leadership potential. Featured on ABC's Good Morning America, Susan is the author of the forthcoming Arrive and Thrive, Seven Essential Practices of Women Navigating Leadership. Prior to joining Simmons, Susan was Executive Vice President for a global leadership development consulting and training firm. She founded the Women in Leadership Institute and launched the firm's global practice on advancing women leaders and inclusive leadership and led the field research behind the seven leadership hurdles women face in the workforce. Dedicated to inclusivity and collaboratively inspiring every girl to realize her full potential, Susan serves as emeritus board member of the nonprofit Strong Women, Strong Girls. Wow, Susan, this is just amazing. I love everything that you have done and you are doing Pause leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I have to say, it's funny, as I, as I was listening, I was like, oh my gosh, a lot's happened since I, since we wrote that, I feel like I've, I need to catch up to speed. Let's dive in. Well, tell me, I really love taking on leadership for women because the statistics are so lopsided. And that's one of the things that I talk about a lot is women come into, and I'm really focused on technology because my background's technology. So women come into, but this is almost all companies, at about 50%. And by the time they get to senior leadership positions, they're down to about 23%. Mm-hmm. And by the time they get to the C-suite and the board, they're like 8%. It just keeps going down and down and down. And you are out to transform that. Well, I'm trying my darndest here. <laughs> Uh, it takes, it takes, it's going to take a lot. It's going to take all of us, all of us to do that. Yeah. I've had a number of people ask like, why, you know, why I, I did an interview this morning for a media outlet that said, as you probably know, Jane, there's more women are being materially impacted by the recent layoffs in, in the tech space. And what's the impact of that? Well, the impact of that is the same impact of if any underrepresented group doesn't equitably rise into leadership, it just happens to be that women is the biggest gap right? Because 50% of the world's population is 
women, to your point, barely um, meeting commensurate statistics in terms of um, percentage of leaders and senior leaders at that. And so everyone loses when we don't see women rise into positions of leadership. I have some thoughts on what is, why this is happening. We can go all sorts of different places. The thing that I see is having come from technology, I was oftentimes the only woman technologist in the room. If there were other women, when there were other women, they were typically admin and support roles. Mm -hmm. And there's just a different viewpoint and a different way women tend to work. By having that, we really expand. I don't love comparing men to women in at work. I mean, it, some, we run the risk, obviously, of um, perpetuating stereotypes. And, you know, the evidence isn't there when it comes to like emotional intelligence, like right. women aren't more emotional intelligence. What I think is super interesting, which is, I think what you're sort of hinting at is the evidence I've seen that there's connectional intelligence that is differentiated when there are more women, which means I'm seeing a broader horizon of how, of broader number of stakeholders might be impacted by this decision, or I'm aware of the connection points between a number of solutions that could cause a yet a new problem, right? Those, that kind of sort of thinking of connecting is really valuable. And that we do know there's some gifts that women in particular bring to bear. And a lot of those connections are based off of experiences. And so women have different experiences and different groups of people have different experiences. So they look at things differently. And even if they look at them the same, they come at it from a different perspective because of their experiences. And this was something that the company IDEO even realized, you know, and they're a big product development company. And they realized that by having very selective groups review their products and give input, mm -hmm. they were probably missing out on things. Like if you, if you get a bunch of mothers together to design a baby product, it's going to look one way. You yep. bring a bunch of mothers, non-mothers, fathers, non-father male, you're going to get a whole a very different thoughts and ideas. The idea of connecting the dots between diverse humans and diverse consumers is brilliant. And I think, I think there's a, there's still a collision. What I'm, what I'm excited about these days is the collision between leadership and inclusion. And even though I run an Institute for Inclusive Leadership, I think it's an oxymoron really, because I think to lead effectively is to navigate skillfully multiple dimensions of different, to harness that those dimensions of difference for greater good for the organization and the impact you have in the market. It's a interesting time for all of us in this sort of, I still think we're sort of peri-pandemic, you know, post-ish peri-pandemic. Mm -hmm. We're still seeing the overwhelming consequences of the peri the, the pandemic. And I, I think women have been materially impacted and continue to be. And I also feel like the call to leaders at all levels now, the frontier of leadership is really honing in on the skill of managing our best self so that we can effectively 
uh, help others manage their best selves so that we can show up and have a shot at doing things like, you know, understanding and talking about difference and achieving goals and dealing with stressors and, 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 yeah. So I think that, that where I'm more interested these days in the realizing that, you know, my, my books and my work have largely been geared towards the advancement of women and women's leadership. The very people that need to be engaged are the people we've managed to um, somewhat alienate. And that those are, as you know, those who woke up, you know, men. And so I'm sort of on a new crusade to engage everybody Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't feel before you even get started, right, wrong, right, risky, fear-based, that on how do we all have to show up so that we can actually see women advance more quickly mm-hmm. and accelerate and um, and then capitalize on 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 all the benefits of what that brings for us. Right. And I totally get that. I mean, I'm on a mission to cause and elevate 1 million women leaders in technology by 2030. And I always want to make sure to be clear that it's not about displacing men. Right. Because if we just do that, we're going to, we're perpetuating the same problem. Oh, let's just dis- displace men. Well, women have been displaced so, for years. So why would we want to cause the same thing? So how do we, one, we have to ensure that there's enough opportunity for everyone and that everyone's has those opportunities and the training and the self-awareness of who they are yeah, to be you know, as effective leaders. Well, I, you know, at the end of the day, I think there's really only two two reasons why people are advancing within. So let's just say you're talking about a thousand. There, there's a choice to be made to choose a STEM profession to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. And we have to market differently <laughs> to women. Um, you know, let's make it look a little more fun, a little bit more accessible, a little bit more, you know, something that doesn't, that might appeal to people with maybe a proclivity for creativity, as opposed to, you know, strict, the strict left brain yeah. you know, scientists among us. But um The thing that I was going to say about the two things that it takes to advance once we do get the right population of people in is you got to have a high say do ratio of performance, right? So, so my work is solid. It's good work. That's number one. And then number two is, you know, someone in a position of power needs to see that and then promote. When I mean promote, I mean promote in rooms that we don't have access to promote casually in conversations about people who have great work output and popular lingo calls that sponsorship, but without sponsorship, every single example that I can think of that any leader has ever told me of how they advanced in their career is both were true. They were performing well and somebody noticed in a position of power and said, yeah, you know what? Very rarely was it a stranger because they already had proof of performance and they had somebody who's saying, yeah, she's the real deal. We need more sponsors, but here's the thing that I often, and you, I love that you mentioned this because what I find is ask women, what is it that you are phenomenal at? Like, where do your strengths and talents really add value to others? I wish women were a little more fluent about that. Then the second is, and then what do you want? If you could wave your magic wand and you could in blink five years, wind up in this job 
earning this amount of money, having this impact in the world, what is it? If you can't answer those questions, it is awfully difficult for people in positions of authority to and power to recommend you. And so that's our job. I've been a little bit criticized by some about, you know, coming across like it's women's fault. I, I've never said that ever. It is not, we are not looking at those statistics of women in leadership because women are, are somehow at fault. And we won't see advancement unless women play a role in the progress to their own advancement. And that role begins with who am I at my best? What kind of strengths and talents really light me up and bring me vitality? What am I up for? Which I think changes as we age, what we're up mm -hmm. for, depending upon choices we make in and out of work in the totality of our lives. And so we do have work to do too. And our organizations do as well. A word that comes to me is, because it, it's not blame. There's a certain amount of responsibility that we as women have to take for our own careers and to support other women. Right. So women get noticed because it's really hard. I think back to some of the jobs that I had, it never occurred to me, boy, you know, I wish I knew now, knew then what I knew now, you know, you just didn't go brag about what you were doing. Right, right. Because because it was actually, it felt like and was seen as bragging. So my replacement word, so I kind of deal in replacement narratives, both known to only you replacement narratives, and then how we speak. And my replacement word for bragging is owning. When I own about myself, my gifts and talents, I'm serving myself and I'm serving others from a place of I'm enough and I matter. And I'm no better or worse than another human being. I'm owning my my gifts and talents, right? There's a different feel. Exactly. I don't know if you saw, there was an MIT study that was really interesting about hubris and humility. And they looked at the impact of those people who sort of don't get this right. When it's, when you're high on hubris or arrogance and low on humility, you have equally bad outcomes as when you're high on humility and low on hubris. And so really it's a balance of the two, which is really hard for women because we're encultured to let our performance speak for itself. You know? Yeah. Yes. Don't say anything. They'll notice how good of a job you've done. Right. And yeah, they notice and they want you to do more of that. And what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that, especially when you haven't asked for more. Because how do they know that you want more? Yeah, I. Um, so I just saw uh, there was a study by Sherm in 2022, I think, that actually showed some positive signs that women who took a, a survey with them reported a higher desire for advancement than male counterparts. And I, I thought that was really interesting. The, the, the problem is, does anyone else know that, you know? And so they admitted to it, but that they want it. I'm wondering, are they looking up from their to-do list and managing their network of influencers, the way they're managing their work output, which yeah. is between them, oftentimes between, especially before the first leap to management is between you and you and your boss. And so there's some really interesting practices that I think could be helpful if women take on that I've written about in first book, Mastering Your Inner Critic and Seven Other Hurdles to Advancement. And speak to in my latest book, which I know in the intro, it was forthcoming. It is out. Oh, good. It is Arrive and Thrive, Seven Impactful Practices for Women Navigating Leadership. And it has become a Wall Street Journal bestseller and a USA Today bestseller. And we're really, my co-authors and I are just delighted that it's had an impact in the world. What's one or two of the secrets in there that so that they no longer stay secrets? 
<laughs> yes. So the secrets. Um, so I would say the practice. So there's seven practices. The first practice is the practice I tend to talk about the most, because if you don't get this right, the other six don't really work very well. And that is the practice of investing in our best self. And there's, there's sort of two parts to that more and more I'm thinking about like the four dimensions and the four practices, sub practices to best self, but just to make it simple, investing in your best self is knowing what your strengths and talents are. And then where those call uh, are called to add value to others and where you experience joy and vitality. When those three things come together, you're in your best self zone. Um, so understanding you and your best is really job number one. And then number two is understanding how to return there because life kicks us out of our best self. And it's, it's probably not likely that any of us will be in a constant state of being in our best self. If we have relationships, if we have, if we're going out into the world and facing things, if there's other people around. Yeah. yeah. If there's other people around, if there's weather, if there's, you know what I mean? If there's global events with crazy dictators, we will experience stress and stress triggers us sometimes to be not so much our best self. And so I do think that practice in the book is foundational and the one that's actually not just for women at all. None of the practices are really just for women. The context and import, importance of them has been we've brought together to help women really make positive impact and, and thrive. You know, I look around and I see women in senior leadership and I'm like, this is not a life I would want. Like, I, I don't remember the last time I looked at a senior woman leader who looked fit, happy, well really well. That's actually not, we feature one in the book and it's, I loved interviewing her. Um, She was the former CEO of Boston Children's Hospital and her name is Sandy Fenwick. And Sandy said, and I love this. She's like, really to, if you're up, if you want to lead a life of significance, you have to invest and then return to your best self. And, and then, you know, the practices are really about helping women discover what does make them thrive how can they're they're helpful tools to thriving they're also helpful tools for understanding where we are when we're at our best and how Mm -hmm. to come back there yes when you're tired and worn out it's hard to be your best self yeah you know you can say that again i mean i i know a lot of people might balk at this but i i do believe the best parent we've got to lovingly manage our own well-being is ourself and whether we do a good job or not is a different story. Knowing what we need is best answered by us, right? Mm -hmm. Intuiting, do I need to move? Do I need to spend less money? Do I need to get more sleep? Do I need to be around more vivacious people? Do I need to be quieter? All these things aid in what we at Simmons and our Institute teach leaders as enablers of best self. So leaders who are listening to your podcast could easily do a quick inventory on, gosh, what does enable me at my best when I'm feeling vitality at work and I'm feeling like I'm engaged and maybe I'm even losing track of time or I'm worried that I can't stay in what I'm doing longer because I have another commitment and I don't want to leave because I'm having fun and I'm engaged. What enables that versus where do I find like a lot of blocks to that? what relationships, what situations, what self-care practices aren't I deploying? So mm-hmm. I have to remind women in particular, Jane, and I'm sure you have seen us and appreciate it. Uh, this is not our dress rehearsal. It's, it's, this is life. This is our life right now, right here, right now. There's no sco- scoreboard 
where we get extra points for being needless and wantless and not taking care of ourselves. And so for anyone who's thinking it's selfish to fill in the blank, take care of myself, or, you know, I don't want to disappoint, you know, there's a lot of that. And I, I find myself more and more encouraging women in particular to, to do some uh, personal boundary work because oftentimes it's driven by wanting so that that connectional intelligence we were talking about can actually be immoderate, especially in our personal lives where we will anticipate the thing that somebody else needs and fill it before we have the opportunity to think about, is this the right thing for me? Or could I ask another member of our family to help out here? Or, you know what I'm saying? So right. uh, it's a, it starts with slowing down enough to be aware and then pushing pause before we take action. Right. One of the things that I work with women on is really creating an inspired life. Because when you are inspired by just about anything, you can almost move mountains. The unfortunate thing is there are things that we have to do in life that we don't always love to do. And some of it we can delegate because there's almost always somebody else that would love doing those things. But some of them we just have to do. Yeah. If you've got a bigger reason that ins- inspires you, you're willing to take those actions and look at what it is. Why am I doing this? It doesn't inspire me. I don't like doing it. And it's not taking me to my inspired life. What's your best advice on, you know, what do you find yourself coaching women to do around reigniting inspiration for themselves? Find something. Well, one, really get clear about what's in the way. Yeah. You know, because. Oh, so good. Until you get really authentic about pretending that everything is okay. Oh yeah, this is really good. I like what I'm doing here. Mm. I, I had a friend a number of years ago that she said, you because I was dealing with a lot of this in my life. She said, you're not to, allowed to answer a question with the word fine. Oh, oh, I have this joke with my friends too. Like when I ask one of my best friends how she said, I'm fine. I'm oh. like, oh boy, there is so much subtext there, right? <laughs> have you seen that sweatshirt? Have you seen that sweatshirt that says I'm fine and like half of it looks like they the person has been bludgeoned and so it's like red as if it's all blood oh no I oh god I would love that because it's so good it's so good I'm fine just fine I'm bleeding to death okay Yeah. Uh yeah yeah um so what's in the way is the first is the first thing like getting really honest with yourself right okay right when you know because we pretend that there's something going on we're good with our lives. We're doing this, or you might even be pretending that you don't like something or that something else is going on. But in reality, underneath that is something that you're telling yourself that I said, what I say is it's really pretty nasty, but you don't want to say it. But once you say it, it's like a whole world opens back up because mm. you got, you got authentic about it. Yeah. The opposite of authenticity is pretend. Yes. Keeping it. So what are you telling yourself? Yeah. And sometimes it's, you know, what am I doing? What, where am I not good enough? Where am I, or what am I thinking about other people that I'm really not authentic about? And yet I react to them the same way, the way that I really think underneath. I don't react to them the way I pretend that, oh, they're, they're really great. Where it's like, no, I can't ever trust this person to deliver on time. Yeah. And if you really were authentic and said, you know, I have a real problem trusting you to deliver on time. Now it's out in the open and you can deal with it. 
Yeah. But when you're saying, oh yeah, I, I got, you know, I understand you'll, you'll get it here. And you're going in the back of your mind. No, you're not. You're not going to get it. It just creates more of what you don't want. And then you wonder why they don't deliver when you, when they promised you. Yeah. So it's listening kind of all goes back to sort of, I, I think the seed of inspiration, what I'm hearing you say, which I, I, I agree with is getting honest with yourself and listening yes. to the whispers of your heart. Cause you have your truth. Even if she's very, very quiet inside of you, she's in there, she's telling you. And if she, here's the thing that I've found lately, if women have a hard time sort of getting to the answer of, gosh, what am I pretending? Or what do I really think and feel? By the way, as you know, what we think and feel drives what we say and do. So we have to be really careful. Exactly. Um, That's why that's so important. Yeah. So I I use this technique myself. If I'm having a hard time cognitively getting to, you know, how is this really for me? This being a person or a relationship or a situation or a job or a project, what have you, I can get quiet and just notice my body. And what I notice is reliably my neck tenses when something isn't quite okay. Yeah. Reliably, my shoulders stiffen up reliably, right? I tend not to get digestion issues, but like my neck and shoulders look out, like they lock up. And the minute I feel something like uncomfortable, well, you know what? I've, I've really begun to pay attention to that really begun. It doesn't mean I have to take action on it. In fact, oftentimes it's actually, I suggest do not take action right away when you're feeling tension. Instead, give yourself the opportunity to reflect on what's up. Right. right? But this sounds like a different iteration of sort of being jettisoned out of your best self. In my words, I love, I was just talking to a thought leader yesterday about inspiration and she referred to inspiration as energy. And I loved that. It's, it, that's all it is, is it's energy. What energizes you? I think we're at a moment in time in our history where life is precious, right? We all got that during the pandemic. Yeah. What brings you energy? Pay yes. attention, you know, yes. and what depletes you? Who depletes you? What depletes you? Again, this is not your dress rehearsal. <laughs> no. And if you can't share it with like your best friend and they go, oh my God, you're so inspired by that. I'm so inspired by what you're inspired. You're not inspired by what you're trying to share. Yeah. Because there's that energy, that, that energy. I've been looking. So in 2017, I got really clear about my purpose, which is, I think the crux of, you know, what lights you up about, about what you're inspired by. Right. And um, the thing that came to mind was sort of in a negative frame, as opposed to a positive frame, which is very unlike my personality, because I'm very high on positivity. Literally, I, I, if you look at like the Gallup Strengths Finder and stuff, I come out like a, you know, glass is half full. Uh, Anyway, so what, what lights me up and what I find I have worked at in all sorts of different ways for a really long time is eradicating harshness. And I didn't lead with telling people that because I, I, you know, I didn't want to be doubted and I didn't want, gosh, eradicating harshness. Think about the implications globally of eradicating harshness. And I know my contribution is let's just start between our own ears, people. And then in an, in, in an intrapersonal context, and then move to an interpersonal contrast, what, you know, context, one person, one conversation at a time. And then I thought, oh gosh, you know, I really want to stand for something positive. What's the opposite of eradicating harshness? And I thought, well, it's really igniting love and understanding when it right comes down to it. But the work-based mission that I'm on is to inspire people to want to get to know, love up, Velcro to their best self. 
because I will maintain that if you are leading your life from your best self more often than not, more moments than not a day, you will have greater joy, greater peace, less stress, more ease with conflict. And you're going to have probably a, a smaller, hopefully, maybe even a non-existent gap between your intention and your impact. But it's not just knowing your skills. It's also being really aware of from where you're speaking. Am I in a thoughtful place for myself and others? Do I meet you as my human being equal? Because mm -hmm. you have just as much to teach me as I have to teach you. And together we get to learn. So that reminding people that humans matter, every human, every human wants to feel valued and seen. And I think in this busy, hectic, stressed out world, we're, we're forgetting both the complexity and simplicity of just that. Yes. I see you and what you bring. And I see you and you matter. I see you and you matter. Right. Yeah. And, and it, Yes. And I don't care what your title is. I work with some of the most, as probably you do, some of the most accomplished people I could imagine. I mean, you know, people who are eradicating childhood cancer. I mean, the, the, but mind bogglingly um, smart, impactful, beautiful souls who are so in need of just being told, wow, thank you. You matter. Wow. You're adding value. Wow. You're really hard on yourself. How about, how about being a little gentler with yourself? Yeah. You know? Huh. Well, Susan, if you can believe this, our time is up. We passed, we passed time pretty quick, Jane. <laughs> Hopefully for your listeners as well. So is there one last thing you would like to share? Um, <laughs> I both have come to love and, and, and not love this question. Uh, you know, I think the last thing I would share is actually, you know, if you're looking for some inspiration about leading from your best self, I would send you to arriveandthrive.com uh, or, uh, you know, inclusiveleadership.com where the work of our Institute for Inclusive Leadership is grounded in best self work because that's mm -hmm. where we need to start now if we want to see more inclusive, more um, gender equitable, more um, diverse workplaces that work for everyone. Yes. Yes. Because it's really, you know, being in touch with yourself and as who you are, when you're not afraid of who you are, you can allow other people into your life. Mic drop, Jane. <laughs> when you're not afraid of who you are, you can let other people into your life. Yes, I love that. Thank you. Thank for you. Oh, thank you. Thanks for being here. You bet. Thank you for joining us this week on Leadership Reimagined. I encourage you to take something that you heard today and apply it in your business. The key to progress is action and sharing. I'd love to hear what you accomplish. Email me at jlovis at lovisconsulting.com and let me know. Speaking of applying it in your business, if you're struggling or looking to expand your leadership skills, let's talk. You can go to lovisconsulting.com. That's L-O-V as in Victor, A-S, consulting.com and schedule a quick call with me. We need powerful, strong, compassionate leaders to solve the challenges we are facing today. Please subscribe on your favorite platform and share with your friends and family. Thank you for supporting us as we cause and expand 1 million women leaders in tech by 2030. Have a great week.
and I look forward to seeing you next week.